Hello and welcome to At The Source. I'm Alex and this is Karis. This is a podcast about food stories. We love talking about food. And eating it. And now we're on a mission to record and share interesting food stories from people all over the UK and beyond. Join us as we explore food in all its glory. Welcome to At The Source. We're wandering slightly off the path today with today's guest because he's actually only recently taken up cooking. We're talking to Mark Olver, comedian and professional crowd warmer opera. While Mark is a keen lover of food and enjoys frequenting excellent food establishments, we wanted to talk to him about the way he's combined his love of food and his love of comedy through his series of fundraising events, Belly Laughs. He works with independent restaurants, cafes and bars in Bristol and beyond to get people through the doors during the quiet month of January and uses his industry contacts to turn simple dinners into hilarious charity fundraisers. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for having us in your house today. Thank you very much. Literally in my house. We are literally in your house. Have you done many of the podcasts in people's houses or are you usually like at their place of work or offices or... We've done all sorts of things. We recorded one episode on a pig farm. Actually, mostly we've interviewed people we've never met before face-to-face in their homes. Oh, okay. So I've at least met you briefly Absolutely. a couple of times yes. and seen you do your thing a couple of times. So I feel like I know you. Yeah. So actually, you're probably the least of the strangers that we've been to. You're a stranger oh, well, to me. A stranger I've to you. I've got my location beacon on just in case. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, quite right. <laughs> Quite right. Oh, God. Okay, I haven't. Starting off really no, well. it's absolutely fine. <laughs> it's safety first, going into someone's house. And right. actually, I'm really, I'll be totally honest with you. I could have come anywhere, but I've only just had my kitchen and this back room done up in about the last month or so. And it looks um, lovely. And I'm sort of showing off. Yeah, bit, it's well nice. You should be showing off. Like I said, I really like the tiles in your kitchen. Mm. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, actually, the kitchen, the whole point of the kitchen was connected to, to food because... So I've had the house for about 10 years and ha- didn't touch any room in the... Well, touched every room apart from this one, apart from the kitchen. This used to be the downstairs loo. Um, and then, a very big downstairs loo. Well, it was... Uh, so that's where the toilet was, where you're sat there. There was the sink <laughs> and where the bath was. Okay. There was a shower here. Paris, you're sat on Mark Olver's toilet right now. <laughs> Mark Olver's, uh, yeah, invisible, oh. long extinct toilet. <laughs> um, but I never used uh, the kitchen because it was... Because I'm, I'm always away. I'm never here. Mm. I let it just kind of basically rot for sort of nine years and I thought now that I've started meeting all these foodie people and being inspired by not just going to restaurants and watching people cook but also watching people buy good meat and good veg and all that stuff Mm. so I decided to totally strip it back get rid of literally everything so everything in my kitchen went um and then I am slowly buying and bringing in kind of the things that I think I'll use to actually cook. And when I'm home, I, I actually do cook, so it sort of works. Yes, I do remember recently on Twitter, you sort of put together on your bench all these dry goods as your basic cupboard. of. Yeah, yeah, no, I went out one day and I went, uh, so what should I buy? And I, I first of all, I did spices and then oh, I did other amazing. bits and pieces. And yeah, properly to try and kind of convince myself uh, to actually put food together in the house. Right. So if food's really only recently become something that you're really keen on, what is your first memory of food? Oh, that's an excellent question. Do you know what? It's probably... So my mum used to work in a cinema in Bristol. She used to work in the ABC cinema, which is... Do you know, is, it the, is the academy still there behind the hatchet in town? 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that used to be a cinema. Years and years ago, that was uh, a cinema. And my mum okay. worked there. And when I was a kid, especially during the summer holidays, my mum would, when she was working, we'd go down there and plonk us uh, on the front row uh, and just be there all day. So <laughs> if a shift was there, so I would see film after film and my mum and also her friends in the cinema. Bear in mind that this is uh, the late 70s. So I'm 44, I was born in 75. So 1978 was the big summer. Star Wars, Greece, uh, the original, well, no, the, A Star is Born with Barbara Streisand yes. and Chris Christopherson. That's a great film. It's a very good film. So my first memory of food and drink were um, <laughs> little uh, pots of kind of Kiora that you would get in the cinema. And Karis um, might not know what that is. Uh it's it's basically uh Sunny Delight. In like um like with your little straw and you pierce it oh, through. We call them poppers. Well we call them pop. So it's sort okay. of that's that's pop and that was and uh little cornettos and little kind of so I I never got into popcorn. I've never enjoyed popcorn. Um, but from that very early age, it was it was cinema food. So little cornettos. Yeah. Do you take the whole wrapper off, or do you keep the bottom of the point? Whole wrapper off. Whole wrapper off. Whole wrapper off. <laughs> no, totally. Now we can see the <laughs> the movements that Alex is making right now, but they're hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, especially just after poppers. As well. Yeah. Um, whole uh, whole wrapper off, lid off. Bosh, naked cornetto straight away. Doesn't even matter. <laughs> Sorry. Doesn't even matter. If it's not a real Cornetto. Like, I'm happy with a fake Cornetto, whatever. Because obviously Cornetto is walls. Yeah. But anything shaped like that in, you know, some sort of papery container with a little paper lid, I'm happy with. So given that your mum worked in the cinema... Yes. Did you ever sneak snacks in? Or were you you eating official cinema (sighs) snackage? We probably did. She probably sent me with all sorts of stuff just to to munch away on. But my memories, my very earliest memories are little sort of little cornettos, little bits of drink. Um, And our torches at home were the torches that usherettes and ushers had in the cinema. So they were sort of black with a little round uh, thing on the end because my mum was there for a couple of years. So that's my very, very earliest uh, food memory. Actually, a really nice food memory. And I'm just thinking that people complain about putting their kids in front of a screen to babysit them these days, but actually they're doing it for a really long oh, time. They, oh, 100%. And I was, you know, and I'm obsessed with the cinema and have been for years and years, and that's definitely where it's died. Like, those summers have just sat there constantly on my own. They're always in the same position, always at the front, uh, so they knew where I was and just, uh, yeah, watching those films. Get a bad neck. No, no, I think I was just quite happy. And also, you know, this is the 70s. Screens were maybe small, you know, okay, cinemas weren't your big multiplexes. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, no, very, very happy first food memory. So, in a way, that kind of links possibly into your career choice, um, because obviously you're a comedian. Did you enjoy watching funny films more than just kind of serious films? Or? Do you know, I think so. Uh, so when... We first started getting a, a, a VHS player. Oh. Yes, absolutely. So I'm going to say that was... So I was I was very young to get into sort of old black and white films. I was really into Fred Astaire films, Marilyn Monroe, love Marilyn Monroe, also massive fan of Bob Hope. So I was a slightly... 
anyone who knows me and anyone who is who has seen me on stage, I don't think, or oh, followed me on social media, I don't think any of this information will uh, surprise them. But I was a slightly odd young boy. <laughs> so, uh, and one of, you know, an odd nine-year-old, an odd ten-year-old. I was definitely, I've always sort of danced to the beat of my own drummer, and that includes videoing all the Bob Hope road film, Bob Hope and Bing Crosby road films off the telly and watching them constantly when my friends were playing with Transformers and He-Man. I was uh, all about watching slightly odd black and white films. And actually, the cinema thing, from the age of 11, I was going to the cinema on my own sort of after school. So mm. I'd pick up, I'd do a paper round, I'd get my, my dinner money, another food connection, I'd get my dinner money, uh, and then I'd save it. Uh, to go to the cinema on the Friday when I finish my paper round every week religiously and often I was getting in for free because mum still knew people there but then every week religiously finish the cinema bus home because I grew up in this part of Bristol in Brislington and uh, in Brislington village there's a Chinese chippy oh uh, yeah and I used to have uh, jumbo sausage and chips nice was my Friday night meal on my own I'd get back uh, walk if the weather was nice, get the bus if it was winter, get my jumbo sausage and chips and go home. And that was my sort of traditional, ha- habitual Friday uh, evening. Cinema, every single film, every single film I could get into, Bosch, sometimes pretending to be 15, um, and <laughs> sometimes pretending to be 18, actually. Um, I think I saw Silence of the Lambs when I was... 14, maybe, 15. Did you so have a beard? How did you I get I didn't in? have a beard, just probably really like oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> Or a beard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you think they just sort of thought, oh, we just don't care. Just yeah, going. 100%. He's on his own. He's yeah. painless. He's harmless. He's not causing anyone any problems. He's really raising the corner home with sales. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so how old were you when you first kind of got into comedy as a like a serious thing? So... I loved stand-up. Like, I absolutely adored stand-up. All the way through university, I loved it. But being sort of, being the age I am, so nowadays, if you get into stand-up, you can just Google, how do you become a stand-up? And if you like stand-up, you can just Google, you know, where do I watch stand-up? And on YouTube, there's so much of it. But in the sort of the the early 90s, mid-90s, although there was a lot of stand-up on TV and stuff, knowing where to go and watch it in comedy clubs was, was quite mm. difficult. So... Yeah. After I graduated from university, I went to Union Leeds, came back to Bristol. Um, what did you study? I studied at media and communication studies. Okay. I wanted to work in telly when I went to university and then I changed my mind. And then I thought, oh, no, it's not for me. I did some work experience in places. And I found the majority of people who worked in TV, radio, marketing, um, all sort of assholes. Ooh, and so careful. I, yeah, I know. Right, see I know. <laughs> yeah. And that was my, and that was my vibe. That was how I felt when I was at university. And I was like, oh God, I don't want to be around these people. But I think what it was <laughs> is I think I was just a bit young. I think I was just, a, um, I think I, I was a young 18 year old when I went to university. I think I was a young 21 year old when I graduated. And so it took me ages and ages to kind of, get my confidence with mm. those sorts of grown-up London types as well, especially being a little country mouse from Bristol. I sort of, I think everyone who I thought was confident was a bit of a penis. Um, yeah. And then I got into comedy uh, when I in late 98, so what was I, 23, 
and sort of discovered these friends in Bristol, discovered these like-minded people who are into the same thing, did open spots, did little uh, little gigs, did little sort of jobs. I was a careers advisor. I trained to be a careers advisor. And then while training to be a careers advisor, the comedy took off. And then I was a careers advisor for a couple of years while mm. starting to earn, uh, earn a living as a stand-up. Did you practice some of your material on the people you were coaching? No, I didn't. No, I, I well, maybe I, I worked in prisons as well. I worked in prisons and young offenders institutes. So it definitely makes you kind of hardy to levels of abuse that you might get in comedy clubs. I was going to say that's quite good training for it's, it's open mic. It's very good training, but also really makes you realise that, you know, what's the worst that can happen on stage? Because the worst that can happen on stage is that they might not like you. The worst that can happen in prison is, you know, a bit different. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. You know. A bit different. On the same topic, so according to Wikipedia page... Oh, okay. Yeah, which I also looked at today. Right. We'll be I've not looked not at too. my Wikipedia page for years and years. Did someone else write that? Oh yeah, no, I've not. Yeah. I've not gone anywhere near my Wikipedia page. We might be able to update it after tonight. So there could yes. be anything on my Wikipedia page. Well, it says that you've lived with a few well-known comedians. I have lived with a few well-known comedians. Yes. So I was curious about whether any of them had any weird or possibly disturbing food habits. Oh, that's an interesting one. So at one point, I lived in a house with uh, Russell Howard, John Richardson, and John Robbins. All at the same time? They were, all four of us were in a flat at the same time. Wow. Um, up in Clifton, uh, in Bristol, and we were there for about a year. Um, interestingly, when we moved in, John Richardson was the only one who drank alcohol. The rest of us were teetotal. And within the year when we moved out, I was the only one who was teetotal, and, the, and everyone else drank. So it was <laughs> a transformative year for everyone in that house. Uh, apart from me and Richardson. Um, did they have weird food habits? Robbins was... Russell was earning a bit of money at the time, starting to get a little bit famous. We were all at very different levels. And Russell would often um, pay John Robbins to eat weird things, like if we were in a restaurant to <laughs> down the salt or just oh. do... Yeah, exactly, that weird stuff. Yeah. Um, and he took the money. He did the challenge and took the money. Well, he did, but the thing yeah. about Russell is he was so messy and he was getting paid a lot of cash at the time, And but he never knew where the cash was. So we would often <laughs> use his bedroom as like a cash point. <laughs> and so it probably evened itself out in the end. Um, John Richardson... Because uh, John Richardson was a, did a bit of chefing before becoming a stand-up, so he's, oh, really? he's always been quite a good cook, and so and and all, has always had that very uh, sort of obsessive compulsive sort of personality. So the kitchen was always incredibly clean. The cutlery drawer was always exactly how it should be. That actually sounds pretty good. Because <laughs> absolutely, it was very very handy. Um, we ate out loads. I don't really remember eating in the house much, but we definitely used to kind of... We were up in Clifton in Bristol, so it was lots of places to mm. eat, and so we were, yeah, out and around. But uh, the thing about being a stand-up is we're travelling all the time, yeah. like constantly travelling. So what kind of things do you eat when you're on the road? Is so, it hard to to avoid kind of motorway food? or? Um, I suppose it is... <laughs> For some people, 
and it isn't for some people. I imagine if you're that way inclined, you'll probably get yourself a pat lunch. You'll probably get a, a lot of comedy clubs um, feed you. Oh. So a lot of comedy clubs, you will get the food that the punters are eating. That's so, fair. which is fine in some clubs. And nowadays, I mean, the food in comedy clubs has got so much better. So, mm. Bath Comedia, um, at one point, I, I don't know who's catering for them, but at one point they had River Cottage. Oh, wow. And they've always kept that quality. Yeah. Um, the Glee Clubs uh, do a really nice range. At Christmas, if you do a run in a, a club at Christmas, um, you, and sometimes when Christmas shows, there are so many of them, you can literally end up having, like, a Christmas dinner. I've never got this. Why people have Christmas dinner in the run-up to Christmas. Yeah, I totally agree. It makes no sense yeah. whatsoever. Because you're basically having inferior versions of the thing that you're building up to, which is going to be the best meal of the year, But then allegedly. you just don't want turkey. Because you've had, like, 12 slightly rubbish turkey dinners before. Now, Karis is looking at us as an Aussie with a face of confusion. In Australia, in the run-up to Christmas, do you not have loads of turkey dinners? Of course not. It's too bloody hot. <laughs> that's a very... Yeah, you see, that's a very good point. But do you know this British weirdness... Well, you guys have roast dinners every Sunday for the most part. No, right? no, sorry. Christmas dinner is not the same as roast dinners. No. Okay, still confused because I feel like it's, if not the same, it's very similar. <laughs> I mean, there, there, there's a similarity there in the Venn diagram, there's similarity. Firstly, most British people throughout the year, 51 weeks of the year, wouldn't touch turkey no. uh, as their main meal. Because um, it's dry. It's Why are you the... touching at Christmas? Because I don't know. that's what we do at Christmas. <laughs> that's what we do. <laughs> we, for one month of the year, eat as much dry, overcooked turkey as we can. <laughs> Why do you punish yourselves? <laughs> because we're too polite to yeah, say exactly. we don't like it. Because it really sums up British psyche. It really sums up British psyche. <laughs> okay, when you say it that way, sure. Yeah. Whereas a Sunday roast could be pork, beef, lamb. Chicken. And don't get me wrong, I'm fine with those people who, for their Christmas dinner, might think, let's get a nice bit of beef. Like, I understand why they're mixing it up, but they're still having pigs in blankets. They're still having the cranberry sauce. They're still having uh, some of those. And also, I don't like any of the traditional desserts associated with Christmas. So I'm not a, Christ mm. I'm not a mince pie fan. I'm not a Christmas pudding fan. I enjoy a Yule log, but a Yule log is just a massive mini roll. So I'm absolutely happy <laughs> with that. But it's the fact that throughout the month of December, every meal seems to be... And people will go out for a turkey curry. Or they what? will have a turkey BLT yep. um, as their sandwich because they will market the Christmas... Thing. The Christmas special. The Christmas special. So, uh, so in you'll get in M and S. There will be a sandwich with stuffing in it. Now, and I love stuffing, but the stuffing you get in those sorts of sandwiches, it's not the best stuffing. No, I have a confession to make in that case. I love it's the Sainsbury's sandwich with chicken, roast chicken, and the pork and sage stuffing in soft white bread. That, in my opinion, is one of the greatest British sandwiches. And I've got no problem with that. But my problem is having that on the 15th of December as a warm-up to your Christmas dinner. 
have that sandwich throughout the year, not back on the chicken, not back on the turkey, not back on the stuffing from mid-November, so 25th of December, bosh, you're yep. straight in for the good stuff. Yeah. Happy with that? Yeah, I am. Okay. Probably brings us quite nicely round to January, <laughs> the month after Christmas. Um, oh, and that's beautifully done. Thank you. And uh, asking you some questions about belly laughs. And what's really nice about that as well is because I remember that we got onto this conversation about the fact that I, uh, you asked me how difficult it is to oh, yeah. eat well <laughs> when distracted. you're on the, on the road. Um, I'm happy to come back to that conversation, but quite simply, it's really difficult. And especially with 24-hour McDonald's now in, in service stations, mm. it really does. It makes it easier, um, but it doesn't make it better. Mm. Mm. Nugs. Oh. oh, is that for you, is it? Yeah. Yeah, the nugs. What are you getting? Um, I sometimes uh, I sometimes go nugs as my side. Oh, uh, yeah. If if it's really late, if I'm really uh, fed up, uh, if I'm really hungry, um, I tend to. But also, but mainly if they've not got um, one of their cheese sides. And this is incredibly specific McDonald's chat. But I really like their cheese melt dippers. And when they try and do other cheese sides, they're just never as good as the cheese melt dippers. I've never tried them. No, I'm. I'm a bit. Of, I came late to McDonald's. Okay. So basically, I had a boyfriend when I was, I don't know, early twenties, who was a bit of a hippie, and um, I was like, oh, I'm, I don't go to McDonald's. I'm far too superior for that. And when I broke up with him, and I moved back in with my mum, and my mum took me to McDonald's multiple times, <laughs> and now I love it. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know what I was missing. So I came late to it. So I am quite specific i'll have nug nugs as my sister calls them with barbecue sauce and chips or i'll have um a big mac with chips and that's it and i've never tried any of the specials i've never tried the wraps never tried the salads it just doesn't seem right to me yeah i mean let's face it i think we all know as people who eat well are interested in food are interested in good food the problems with uh mcdonald's the problems with uh uh, nutritionally the problems with them commercially all that sort of stuff mm. but you know what sometimes you just want it don't you but you know what you're getting you do know what you're getting anywhere around the world and i like whenever i travel around the world i like going into a mcdonald's and seeing what it's like just having something a little bit different best fried chicken of my life i am goreng chicken from mcdonald's in penang in malaysia in the cinema Oh, really? Yeah, because we were so hot and sweaty, we decided we'll go to the cinema in the big mall thing. Went to see Beauty and the Beast with subtitles. McDonald's fried chicken, it was amazing. Was it? Yeah. I've never had McDonald's fried chicken. Yeah, in Malaysia. Because I'm a KFC fan as well. You know, I love my bad food. I love my bad food. What other chicken restaurant do you love, Mark? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I I don't know. Are there any other chicken restaurants? (laughs) I don't really go on about it enough. I mean, mean, maybe... uh, just off the top of my head a little bit. Uh, maybe uh, Wings uh, Wings Diner in the small bar. Wings, Wings Diner, you say? <laughs> Wings Diner <laughs> in the small bar. Oh, God, it's so amazing. <laughs> blue rice, though. So amazing. I don't go for the blue rice. My girlfriend goes for the blue rice. I go for the chips. My, blue fr- yes. my girlfriend thinks the blue rice is the greatest food she has ever had. And actually, and forgive me because this will happen sometimes, um... 
because I have to say these things and it sounds like name drops. Unfortunately, this happens in my life. But um, a couple of weeks ago, James Acaster was in Bristol and he went to, on my recommendation, Wings. And not just on my recommendation, I helped it happen because I messaged him and said, Acaster isn't going to finish his show until this particular time when they were shut. Can you save some so his tour manager can come around and get it? Yes. A couple of weeks later, only last night... He uh, was there again, and he went in, but this time had the blue rice. And what did he think? He said it was a game changer. said it was an absolute game changer. I'm going to see if they mention that one uh, off menu. Have a look. Another comedian that loves food, you see. And that's a fantastic podcast. I love listening it's to It's a brilliant guys. podcast. And they're, and they're amazing. And actually, we went... So two weeks ago, we went for lunch at Seven Lucky Gods which I don't know if you've had their fried chicken yet, but it's really good. We've heard it's good. And I saw the little... Discussion. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's good as a side. It's not It's not as good as, like, the main for wings. Um, I love wings so much. I love... <laughs> but I love the guys. I love the fact that it's just two guys who are a pop-up. I love the fact that they have literally just... I remember chatting to, um, to one of them who was saying that, like... Um, Peter Sanchez from uh, Casimir went in and like commented on how great his... That's uh, incredible. And he was like, you know, blown away by yeah. that, which is, you know, what one of the, the top restaurants in Bristol, traditionally, you know, the Michelin star restaurant for a long time in Bristol. Mm. There's a few others recently. And it is amazing. I don't know if you've ever been there, but oh, it's unbelievable. Him and the taste that he creates going into wings and commenting on... Just these two lads who have set up a, yeah. a business doing something absolutely brilliant. But good food is good food. Yes, good food, absolutely. And there's context. And so, you know, I would never say that McDonald's is good food or KFC is good food. But, you know, it does the job for me when I need it to. But then I also need to have amazing veg mm. and amazing meet and go to a brilliant butcher mm. and go to somewhere that cooks a fantastic mm. roast or a tasting menu like Casimir. Yeah. But at two o'clock in the morning, when you get off a train in Reading because you've been working in London and you can't get back to Bristol um, and you're in an Ibis budget <laughs> and there's nothing else around, but you know there's a McDonald's. And Casimir aren't on delivery. Cas- Casimir are not delivering all the way to the Ibis in Reading. Get McDonald's. Right, get ready for my second attempt to smoothly. Oh yes, your segue into, into, into my segue into belly laughs. Go on. Have you got a new a, a new segue? Hit me up. So we've been talking quite a lot about Bristol restaurants, and obviously all three of us live here and love it. So uh, something that you've been doing. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting there. It's like you've done this before. I know. Or something. It's really really good. <laughs> um, so can you tell our audience a little bit about belly laughs? Because you work a lot with independent restaurants and uh, places around Bristol to do this great thing. Yeah, uh, I will be 100% honest with you. The great thing element of it was the last thing I thought about. So the it came from the idea, I was doing the warm-up for uh, a show called Big Fat Quiz of the Year, which Jimmy Carr... It, Channel 4, end of the year show, and it lasts, it's traditionally the longest TV recorded. It lasts for about five hours, five and a half hours. Far out. And so I was backstage, this was December, mid-December 
2017. And when I'm in these uh, TV studios, I often find myself sat underneath the audience. So the rake of the audience seats are there. And I want to be as close as possible in case I need to go on. But I also want to be able to sit somewhere and check Twitter and Instagram and read or whatever. Mm. And so I was sat underneath the audience and I was reading all these tweets, because it was mid-December, about all the offers that were going to come up in Bristol in January. And another one of my favourite restaurants in Bristol is The Cauldron. Mm. Um, my absolute favourite restaurant in Bristol. And I love The Cauldron. And I love the food that Henry does. But in January having problems getting bums on seats. Mm. So I was like, ah, maybe if I put a gig on in the cauldron and I'll do like half an hour of stand-up, then maybe they'll feed me. (laughs) And then I was like, maybe I can use that to get free chicken in wings. And maybe I can get go to Boxy and Tessa and Elliot will feed me for free. And then I can do all this and that'll be brilliant. And then maybe they only need... 10 or 15 people in and they're buying their meals and they're like oh here's the stand-up and blah 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 and I thought oh that could work um and then I started realizing because the record was such a long record I started realizing that actually I could make money for charity by doing that so and also getting fed for free and hopefully getting fed for free the the food element for me was always there and it has never gone (laughs) it has never gone away so the idea was Restaurants are quiet in January, which is the reason that people do two for ones, 30 quid off your meal, 30% off, free bottle of wine, blah, 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 because they want people to get out. So people don't want to go out in January because they spent all their money in December. So I can put something on in those restaurants as a way of helping people to encourage themselves to go out for a meal in January, which is stand up. And what else do people like doing? They like doing good things. They like raising money for charity. So the stand-up becomes free because I can get amazing stand-ups to do it for free. I contact the restaurants and say to them, look, this is what you get. You know, they always look at me, especially restaurants that I don't know, always, they, they look at me while I'm discussing it and they're nodding away. But you know in their head they're going, how much is this costing us? Yeah. What's, yeah. what's the catch here? Yeah. Yeah. Seems like you're giving me a free night of sold out restaurant in the, the most miserable month. And I always say to them, don't do it on a Friday and Saturday. Pick a boring yeah. day. Pick a day people mm. don't go out. Pick that middle Tuesday of January and then I'll get you some really good comedians and we'll have a really great night. And they'll pay all the food and you can have that and the comedians will do it for free and then the money can go to uh, a homeless shelter. So in Bristol, it's the Julian Trust. Mm-hmm. In Wales, we do it for uh, Hlamai, a charity who work with uh, young homeless people and homeless women. Um, and then hopefully we're going to start extending it to... Uh, we'll start sort of locally around here. But you know what? Anywhere. I mean, I've chatted to people in... Dublin. I've chatted to people in Buenos Aires because I've worked in Argentina for a little bit and the food scene over there is amazing. Yeah, it um, truly is. I've chatted to uh, to people in Brighton because it's such a... The most simple idea in the world is there are comedians who aren't very busy in January. They will go and do a gig. I know how to put on a gig. You tell your punters that there is a gig. Mm. They buy their food. They pay an extra tenner or so for the comedy, which goes directly to the charity. Feels like everyone's winning. Mm. Local press, 
bloggers, vloggers, PR people can come to me and, and say, you know, oh, let's do it for this restaurant and the restaurants are happy with them. Mm. I don't really think anyone is sort of missing out. Really. And it's a really fun way to eat your dinner. It's a fun way to eat dinner and we try and do it in a way that works for the restaurant. So Boxy, this incredibly fine dining place, people are eating their incredible food while we're talking nonsense to them. (laughs) Some places where that isn't practical, they'll have their pizza before, like Block B in Cainsham, and then go in and watch the comedy. The Curry House at the top of the road, um, they'll do it and they'll do like a curry buffet. How many have you been to? Which ones? Have you been to any? I've not been to any. <gasps> I'm so sorry. I've been to three. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Which ones have you been to? Curry House? No, Block B. The, Block B and Cainsham? Yep. Uh, then there was the one that was at... It was the vegan one. Uh, Gapal's? No. No, um, the Elephant House in Bedminster. That one? The Elephant House in Bedminster. Uh, the food was done by a lady called Juliet. Um, and it was all vegan. We've done two there now because we did the first one in January 2018 and then we did 2019 and then getting ready for 2020 and I've already started looking at people and places to go to. But the Elephant House is a a room that can be hired out for uh, events and stuff and they've got a kitchen. And this woman, Juliet, who does supper clubs in the area uh, and isn't a vegan but does a lot of vegan supper clubs, got all the food donated from people's gardens and allotments. And That's awesome. All, and the only thing she spent, I wanted to give her money. I wanted mm. to say to her, I make sure that no one gets out of pocket here, have some money for the food. And she went, it's absolutely fine. She fed about 60 people. Wow. Right, how many? How much did you spend on the food for 60 people? She went, like, seven quid. Wow. <laughs> because That's everything incredible. was donated. Everything was... That's amazing. Yeah. And it was good stuff as yeah, well, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, was it was really, really good. Yeah. I really That's enjoyed amazing. it. That's amazing. And I'm happy to do those sorts of... I'm ha- basically, I'm happy to do anything. I'm happy to do anything that the... Any way the venues think works for them. Because mm. they know their restaurant. They know the food mm. that they do. They also know the type of audiences mm. they do. We did a rugby club where we yeah, got... um Ichu to do a pop-up. Um, so Ichu are a another Bristol pop-up, although they do now have a small place in St Nick's who do amazing um, gyoza, Japanese fried dumplings for all the people at home. And they do incredible ones. And incredible. also they do, I think it's called Yakinori now, which is their pop-up, yeah, which is yaki. kind of... Yeah, Yaki Shack. Um, mm. that's right. Yeah. So they do that as well. And it's I I really love it. And so next year, hoping to to take some of these people who are maybe pop ups or uh, street food and work with venues that have got like a big function space, but a kitchen that maybe they don't use, and let these people go in there for the night and mm. do you know that would be fantastic. Yeah, um, I come from an event management slash marketing background. Um, and all of this sounds like a logistical nightmare. <laughs> what are your biggest challenges? Um, there aren't any. There really aren't. Okay. Because it's for a good cause and it's No, for because food, it's maybe. really straightforward. So, um, like, I contact a restaurant and I say, do you want, uh, do you want one of these events? And they say, yeah. And then I go and look at their restaurant. And we put a date in. Um, and then I 
text or put a there's a Facebook group of loads of local comedians. So I'll be like, who's free on the eighth of January who wants to go down to this venue and they'll probably feed you. And they'll be like, yeah, alright. And then I'll put on Twitter, we'll go into this venue, who wants to buy tickets? And they'll go, yeah, I'll buy tickets. And then that's it. <laughs> You're okay. overthinking it. I, I, I am, that's what I do. <laughs> How do you decide the venues? Is it important that the food is really good there? Um, I think that's a, that's an excellent question. And I think... Thank you. <laughs> uh, I think I decide because I like them to be independents. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of uh, restaurants in Bristol that are owned by sort of three or four restaurants are owned by one person. Mm. But I'd much rather go to an independent like that than a national chain. Mm. So we're probably not going to do belly laughs at McDonald's. I probably won't do belly laughs at McDonald's. I probably won't do belly laughs um, at Cafe Rouge. But that's the thing about Bristol. A, a friend of mine was saying, oh, where is it? Uh, they, I can't remember where they were, Nottingham or Leeds or... You're from Leicester? They were yeah. somewhere in the Midlands and they were saying, um, oh, where can I get a nice... In the, when are going to go to a nice independent restaurant in Leicester? Mm. And although there's some amazing curry houses in Leicester, and although there's some brilliant food in Leicester, actually in Bristol, it's much easier now, I think, to go to an independent restaurant than it is to go to a chain restaurant. And I think that's happening all over the country. When you look at Jamie's Italian going, Cafe Rouge is a closing, Byron Burger, GBK, Cow. Pizza Express on um, Corn Street is being replaced with a Mowgli. What the, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There you go. And so so when you see a lot of these sort of these big restaurants that grew too quickly, mm. actually when you come to Bristol and you say to someone or someone says to you, Where can I go for a nice a nice meal? Mm. I'm not a massive fan of chains, you just go, Well, aim for Park Street, aim for Wapping Wharf, yeah. aim for Corn Street or aim for uh, Gloucester Road, aim yeah. for North Street in Bedminster. If you go to yeah. one of those roads, you're not seeing... Mm. There's there's a couple of Wagamamas in places, and I don't mind a, a Waggers. I don't mind... There's Bills. But you look at some of these places and you think to yourself, well, why are people go? Why would someone go to... Uh, and again, I like Oaxaca on the Triangle in Bristol, in Clifton... Why go to Oaxaca when there's some amazing Mexican places, there's some amazing tapas places, mm-hmm. there's some amazing places, 15 minutes walk away, 10 minutes walk away. But also you've got Wakiko on the triangle, which is absolutely amazing. Like, See, this is the thing that I don't get. Why are the people <coughs> in Bristol, and I know we're not the only city that embraces independence, of course we're not, but having moved from Leicester as a foodie to bristol i want to know why people here embrace and support independence in a way that they don't in they don't seem to in other cities i think other cities um are catching up i think bristol maybe because of the fact that so many people um who live in london or lived in london will either go to brighton or bristol if they kind of want to sell their house in London and then buy an entire street in Bristol. Mm. <laughs> they tend to kind of 
think to themselves, straight down there, straight down there, Bosch were there. Mm. So Bristol seems to be an early adopter mm. of some of these things. And you will mm. find, I think, if you go to Manchester, it's quite it's quite similar. Yeah. And I spend yeah. a lot of my time in Cardiff. And you see the food scene in Cardiff, like, struggling to be brilliant. And there are some amazing places in Cardiff. But, the, and they're fighting and they're doing it and they're getting there. So... It's coming. It's coming. It's absolutely coming. Yeah. I think nowadays... I was chatting to someone about this the other day, about the idea of... Because I am definitely not what my mum would call a trendy-wendy. Like, <laughs> You've always been dancing to the beat of your own drum, though. I've always been dancing to the beat of my own drum. But not in a trendy way. But not in a trendy way. I, I'm, I'm quite pragmatic. So I love my McDonald's. I love my KFC. I love my uh, Domino's. Uh, you know, late night when you're on your... Uh, uh, and you don't want to go out and you just, you know, your Domino's app, bosh, you're right there. I love all that. However, with independence and starting to meet them, I like being able to know where my money is going and actually look the person in the eye when I'm giving them that money mm. and know where my food has come from because I'm looking at that person. Yeah. And, and I think we've... Uh, with the horse meat scandal and going back to the mad cow scandal and going back to all these things that we hear mm. about food, I think if any of us are given the option to buy our food from someone we can talk to, I love going to a butcher's now because that butcher knows the guy who, you know, bought that cow or pig in today. You know, yeah. I love talking to these people because you know that that morning... Elliot from Boxy has, you know, gone for a drive and, and gone, I'll have that bit of fish, I'll have that bit of veg, I'll have yeah. that bit of... And, like, mm. just a bit better, isn't it? We're yeah. going to have to introduce Mark to Martha. Yeah. Oh, who's Martha? The pig farmer? Yes. Yes. Yeah. She... It's, it's really quite sad because I every day I go on there and I look at all the piglets because all of We go crush on Martha. Okay. Um, but look at all the little piglets that all of her, you know, mama pigs have had. But then we know perfectly well that in like you know four or five months that they're going to be in a box in plastic wrap and they're going to taste up and great. Yeah, that's tricky. That's tricky. But Martha is really open about that, and she's really big on Twitter actually. And she will say, you know, she almost finds that by sharing the pictures of the piglets and all the cute snort like hop sound. I don't know. That wasn't a very good. No, no, no. I felt in the she room. shares all of that. She actually finds that her customers that makes her customers want to buy her meat more because yes, it's sad that those cute little piglets are going to turn into bacon cobs, but they've had a fantastic life and they've been reared properly and and they that that her customers see that and they equate that to being better food at the end of the day. Yeah, so. I love meat. Like I'm, I don't think I could become a veggie. I don't think I could become a vegan. However. I I have this suspicion that the next sort of change in the way that we eat will be, in 20 years' time, in 30 years' time, will be no meat. Because they're doing so many amazing things mm. with uh, with synthesised meat and cultures and all that sort of stuff. And do you know what? If it's good, I'll have it. Have you had the vegan magnum? Yeah. I liked it. I really liked it. Like... 
did you did you feel any different? Um, I no, not really. I mean, the texture's a bit different, but I'm really a textual person when it comes to food. But other than that, you wouldn't be able to tell. No, no, and I think in in I think in years to come, it might not be as important. Mm. And when also when I have good vegetables, one of my favourite restaurants that I've tried newly in Bristol recently even though it's been there for a while, is root in Wapping War. Oh, yeah. The the tastes in that stuff blew me away. Just mm. And I was chatting to someone, and I need to go down there. We want to do a belly laughs there in January, but I just need to go there because they were talking a big game. It's a place called Flow in the Bear Pit, which is a vegetarian restaurant. Oh, yeah. Which is opposite one of my favourite restaurants. Mayflower. The Mayflower. Yeah. Um, and, uh, the Mayflower is a big comedians in Bristol favorite because it's open until 3am, um, because it's brilliant food. Uh, but flow is just opposite that. And someone who was a friend of the chef who I met last week and I was explaining that I hadn't been there, but I've been to Roots. This girl's going, better than Roots. And I was like, no way is it better than Roots. If it's better than Roots, it's going to blow my mind because... I had some stuff in Root that was incredible. And I, like I said, I love meat. I like, mm. I, I'm like, I like, oh, give me vegetarian food. I'm happy with that. Bung a bit of lamb on it and I'm all right. But <laughs> there was no lamb on it and it was still amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I just have to say that if Root was in Australia, it would be a very different business. It would be um, a very different business. And every time people say it, I have to stop myself from laughing. <laughs> now that I've changed the topic and it just almost got a little bit dirty, we have time for one more question. Okay. We have talked and talked and talked. I know. I'm sorry. And I, I can't help myself. I'm on my favourite subjects, like food, Bristol, <laughs> comedy. Um, this is why I wanted a two-hour episode. Uh, what is your favourite food-based joke? Oh, God. Now I really wish that I had uh, seen the questions before. You are the only guest we've ever had that did not want to see the questions. Yes, that is very so true. So that's on you. Um, <laughs> but we can... No, I no, can, no, because I've got one. I can try, okay. Because oh. I've got one. I mean, it's a dreadful joke. It, it, do you know what? Let me preface the joke with um, a an explanation about the joke. Something that but is that going to make me. it less funny? Uh, possibly, yeah. <laughs> Okay, maybe you should... What's the... Thing at the end of a book, uh, an epilogue. Yeah, epilogue. No, um, okay, no, I want to do it first. Okay, okay. Because I'm more than happy to deconstruct the shirt when it goes along. Okay. So uh, I just want to say, Milton Jones, who is a brilliant comic and a brilliant one-liner comic, when he heard this version of this joke, uh, he was like, "Oh, I've been trying to think of something like that, and you've got there before me." And I was so proud of myself because I don't write many joke jokes. And the fact that I wrote this joke joke and Milton Jones went, that's a good joke joke. I was like, yeah, I'm happy with that. Okay. So uh, recently my girlfriend has been a little bit depressed. Uh, I came in the uh, house the other day and she, uh, on one side of her body, uh, she was putting tiny little cows, tiny little sheep, tiny little chickens. On the other side of her body, she was putting corn, maize, and other arable goods. Um, I am worried about her. I think she started self-harming. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Thank you. Oh, that was worth it. Thank you. Oh, God, Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I think, sorry to everyone else we've ever interviewed, but that's the best end of the podcast that we've had to date. So we're going to leave it there, I think. You sure? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Can I also say thank you, but also sorry? <laughs> Apologise. I am dreadfully sorry. I'll do the out. Thank you so much, Mark, for having us in your gorgeous home, which I'm definitely going to have a nose around your kitchen Please in a do. minute. I spotted your blue smeg fridge. Nice. Um, it's been fantastic and hopefully everyone who's listening has enjoyed this episode as well uh, we mentioned Martha the pig farmer quite quite a few times so maybe go and uh, search her episode out it's, it's a pretty good one and in the meantime follow us on Twitter at The Source and have a look at show notes and photos at uh, www.atthesource.com and find us in all the usual podcast places um, until next time we're out